this famous story here in the Gospel of Luke on uh, Martha and Mary. If you were here last week, it's something we've already visited, but we're continuing uh, on this subject. If you remember last week, we talked in general terms about the difference between Mary and Martha, right? Here, you know the story. They're inviting Jesus over. Um, you know, they're busy, probably in the kitchen somewhere, getting meals ready, but Mary leaves Martha. She goes and she sits at Jesus' feet, gets quality time with Jesus. Martha, the older sister, comes out, and uh, she's a little bit frustrated, so she tells Jesus, she asks Jesus, Jesus, tell my sister to help me, right? And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, well, I'm not going to do that because she has chosen what's better, right? She's chosen what's better. And so what we did there is we looked at Martha and Mary, and what we're trying to say is this, that if I could put it this way, and if we can think of it this way, to bring this Bible context into our modern sort of, uh, I guess, context is this. Martha, I would say, represents the responsible older sister. She's the doer. She's got duties. She's good at doing them. She's good at doing. She's good at serving. Uh, and, and those are necessary and important things. The irony is that in verse 40, uh, Mary was working too. She was not just sitting there all day. She was helping Martha, right? But then what she did was she left because Mary knew what she really wanted, and that was actually to get closer to Jesus. In other words, what we said last week was this. Mary, the difference between Mary and Martha is that both of them knew they had work to do, but Mary just knew when to drop things in order to make time for something Jesus says was more necessary. She chose what Jesus says is the best part. Both Mary and Martha love Jesus, right? Uh, but for Martha, the doing, the action, the getting it done was the ends. For Mary, what we said was, it wasn't the ends, but the doing, the action was a means to the end. And Mary's end was to get intimacy with Jesus Christ. In other words, the difference between Mary and Martha was in their priority, what they set for themselves as most important. The goal for Mary was a relationship with Jesus Christ. The goal for Martha was to get the serving done. How do I know this? Because of prayer. When you do things only to get it done, you only come to God when you need something, when you need help, right? That's what Martha does. Jesus, I'm asking you, tell Mary, help me in the kitchen, right? So it's in our prayer. Now, I want to continue this, and I want us to unpack this a little bit more. Uh, it's not this simplistic, but if we could do a compare and contrast, uh, Martha represents duties, responsibility. Mary, what does she represent? If I could use the word, not just passion, not just desire, not just relational, if I could use the word beauty, right? Follow me on this. Martha represents duty. Mary, we might say, represents beauty. Beauty is what you are in awe of. Beauty is what you are encaptured by. Beauty is what grabs your attention. Beauty is what inspires you, motivates you to say, wow, right? We can call that beauty. I think Mary desired beauty in Jesus Christ. Now, we can bring this because this dilemma here, this sort of, uh, I guess, polemic is, is always been there. It's not just in the Bible. Duty versus beauty. Things I have to do. Things I love to do. 
things that are responsible, need to get done, things that move me, motivate me, drive me, make me passionate, right? Always there in our lives. Let me give you an example. You know, growing up in the, in, in the South, um, being the only Asian kid in my class, I, I did take pride in it because everyone thought being Asian, I would always be the best at math. Unfortunately, I'm probably, math is probably one of my worst subjects, okay? Uh, my best subject, believe it or not, was English, right? Here's the only Asian kid in an all-Caucasian school, and the best English student is an Asian kid. I loved English growing up through high school and, and, and so on and so forth, and I still remember a lot of this. Let me give you an example in more contemporary times of a couple of poems that I remember that I think brings out Mary and Martha dilemma, okay? You know who Robert Frost is? 1870s poet, born in San Francisco, right? Had this very famous poem, a poem, I'm sure many of you heard. If you're in school, if you're in high school, maybe you read this, called Stopping by the Woods on a Snowy Evening. Remember this? This is what Frost says. He says this, just two stanzas. Whose woods are these? I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. The woods are lovely, dark, and deep, but I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep and miles to go before I sleep. That's how Frost ends his sermon. Notice in this uh, poem, not sermon, but notice in this poem, uh, Frost says he's in this woods, a picture of, of someone who's in the snow-covered woods and he's enraptured by the beauty. He says the woods are lovely, dark, and deep, Right? And he would love to stay there and just admire the beauty. But what does he see at the end of his poem? I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. Promises for Frost to represent duties, responsibilities. I have promises to keep and miles to go before I sleep. And so the, the poem apparently presents a picture of a person who wanted to enjoy the beauty of nature, of the woods, Right? But he couldn't do so for so long because he had things to do. He had promises to keep. He had things to do. And the point of Frost was this, that ultimately, even if we have time to admire the beauty, we've got to go on our way to achieve goals. So we shouldn't get distracted by the fascinating things. And he says, one commentary on this poem says this, we in our real life, we have many things to look at with awe, many things to enjoy. But in most cases, he says, we cannot simply because we have other things to do in our short lifespan, so we have to move on, end quote. Robert Frost, in his poem, is like a Martha, promises to keep, things to do. On the other hand, there's another poem by the, uh, a poet named uh, William H. Davies, a contemporary of Robert Frost. His famous poem, and I still remember reading this too in class, is called Leisure. Listen to what he says, okay? Just a couple stanzas. What is this life if full of care? We have no time to stand and stare. No time to stand beneath the boughs and stare as long as sheep and cows. No time to turn at beauty's glance and watch our feet how they can dance. A poor life, this, if full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. Do you hear a difference? 
In the opening lines of this poem by Davies' Leisure, he warns of the hectic pace of modern life. And what he wants to say in his poem is that that pace has a detrimental effect on the human spirit. He says this, his argument is that modern man has no time to spend freely and enjoy, just like Frost says in a sense, the beauty of nature. And in the end of Davies' poem, what he says is this, that we've realized if we don't put aside some of these pursuits, Davy is arguing we miss everything. We will miss all the beauty. We will miss all the joy and the movement of life. So Davies is a little different. Both poems are talking about enjoying beauty. But Frost says we need to move on. We have promises to keep. Davy's saying, and he's arguing with the man, give some time to stand and stare at the beauties in the world surrounded by him. He's asking the modern man to return to the beauty from his daily routine chores. Who is Davies like? He's like a Mary. He's like a Mary. They're contemporary poets, completely different approaches to enjoying beauty. Robert Frost, through his poems, suggests that the modern man needs to return to his duties and responsibilities, towards his family, towards society, without being distracted from the beauties around him. But Davies says we need to remove some of those in order to make time to just stand and stare. Now, which one is better? There's no better here. Both poems, or both poets, are right in a sense. They're both right in their own perspective. But it's up to us, the modern man, to find this balance in our life between duties we need to fulfill and beauties we need to enjoy. We need to find this balance. Both are needed. Both Frost and Davies, both Mary and Martha, in a sense, are needed. But the problem in life, if we could just get this together, that's the difficulty. We tend to lean towards one or the other. So, for example, if you tend to lean a little bit more to a, a more Robert Frost type, a duty responsibility part, part type, here's a good thing. You're probably reliable. You're reliable. Why? Because you're trustworthy. You get things done. Maybe you're a person, if you're like this, you tend to be more disciplined. You're faithful. Being dutiful is not a bad thing. It's a wonderful thing. It's a great thing. But if it's the only thing, right, if it's always only about things you need to do and duties and responsibilities, then guess what happens? Eventually, things get to be a drag, right? If you're always only about duties and responsibilities and getting it done, eventually everything gets draining, there's no joy. There's no wonder. And that's why you need a vacation all the time, to get away a little bit to make that time. On the other hand, even though duty is important, many of some of us, we lean towards beauty. We live for the next excitement, the next thing that gives us this joy, the next big desire in our heart. And yes, you work, but even in the work, it has to be a work where you find joy. And it has to be a work where you will end up in joy. At least in it, there's an expectation for pleasure and joy and passion. You not only know this, but sometimes, if you're all about beauty, you also want to feel this. Now, the problem with that is, if you lean too much towards the beauty, the problem can be, just like the person who's also dutiful, is that no matter how wonderful, how awesome, how new something is, everything gets old, starts to feel old. 
Maybe you don't feel the same kind of joy or passion or desire that you once did when you first experienced it. But the problem with someone who's always leaning towards beauty is this. If I don't feel it, if I don't experience it, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And if this is you, maybe you're a passionate person. Maybe you're, you know, you're an exciting person. But maybe, maybe you're not so consistent. You drop things easily once it starts to bore you. And because of this, there are very few duties and responsibilities you actually want to commit to because you know this. We lean one towards the other. But the point here that we're trying to make is both are important. In fact, you might argue we need both duty and beauty. We need both Martha and Mary. Now, here's the thing. I bet you, if you were to talk to Martha today, right, she'd probably argue with you and she'd say, hey, wait, that's not fair. I'm not just about duty. I'm not just about getting things done. I'm also about beauty. I want to be there at Jesus' feet too. It's just I have to get this done. And I bet you if you were to talk to Mary today, she might argue with you as well. She'll wait, 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 that's not fair. I'm not just about beauty and looking for passion and emotional experience, right? That's not fair. I'm not flaky, wishy-washy, emotionally driven. I was there in the kitchen with Martha. I was helping her. I know it's important to do the work. You see, uh, it would be easy to ask, you know, which one are you, Mary or Martha? But the, the, the truth is, people are more complicated. There is duty and beauty in all of us. There is duty and beauty that we all want. There is a Mary and there is a Martha in all of us to some degree. It's both. And here's why that's important to understand. Because when you come to the Bible, what you're going to see is this. God requires both. Okay, listen carefully. God requires both duty and beauty. Let me give you an example. Worship. Worship. Now, if you're a Christian today, you've been going to church, you know this. You're supposed to go to church if you're a Christian. It's your duty to worship. It's your responsibility to come to worship. If you're a Christian, it's not an option. God never says in the Bible anywhere, hey, if you've got nothing else better to do, come to church. If you've got more, th- you know, just bored at home, come to church, right? But if you've got important things to do that you think is more important, then it's okay. It, that, that's never an option in the Bible. It's a duty. It's not an option. That's why he commands it. Worship me. Keep the Sabbath. And at the end of the day, when all is said and done, Worship is the ultimate because it's the one thing we're going to be doing even after we die. But it's a duty. It's a responsibility, right? But at the same time, at the same time, God doesn't just want your worship out of sheer duty, right? Out of sheer responsibility. Think about this, right? If, if it's your, 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 your partner's birthday or Valentine's Day or, or some holiday and, and you bring this person a nice huge gift and this person is surprised with joy by what you've given to this person, right? Uh, surprised by joy and says, why, why, why did you do this? And you responded, because it's my duty to give to you this. It's my responsibility How's that going to fly? Is that that what people want to hear? No. They want to hear, because I love you. 
I want to show how much you mean to me. Right? God doesn't just want duty. He also wants devotion. He wants passion. He wants joy. In fact, I can put it this way. Put it together, okay? Duty and beauty. Here it comes. God commands worship. He expects it. He makes it the ultimate duty. Why? Because that's how much beauty he has. So much beauty, so much wonder in the God of the universe, what we could call glory, that God himself has no other option but to command you and make it your duty. Duty and beauty come together in God. Now, if duty and beauty came together in your life, what would it look like? Here's what I think. In life, there are things you're supposed to do, duty and responsibilities, and there are things you love to do, things you enjoy. But when you bring these things together in your life, when it comes together, here's what I think we need to say. You're supposed to do your duty. You're supposed to do what you love, your beauty. But on the flip side, you also love what you're supposed to do. Does that make sense? When duty and beauty come together, not only are you supposed to do what you love, but the reverse is true. You also love what you're supposed to do. Put this into context. Those of you who are parents, I know you love your children. But you know how it is during the first few months of, that, of the child. You know how much work it takes. You know how much of your freedom is gone. You know how tired you are, how tired your, your partner is. You know how difficult it can be in the drain. Your life is gone. You feel utterly trapped, right? It's a duty. It's a responsibility. What if duty and beauty come together? Because you know in moments when you see that child, he or she is beautiful. And because of that, not only do I do what I love, but I need to love what I do. That's what it should be when it comes together. But oftentimes, it's easier said than done. We're fractured people. We tend to always lean on one or the other. You know, um, growing up, when my dad was really into church, he, he's still there. He's in the church, but not so much. He was so gung-ho when he first came to the States. We were in a Pentecostal church, and so... Uh, I think, I still remember for the first, not first, but I guess three or four birthdays in, in, during my elementary school years, do you know what he bought me for my birthday? Three or four birthdays in a row, he bought me a Bible. That was it. First one was the children's Bible, second one was King James Bible, third one was the new King James Bible. Uh, it, three birthdays in a row, a Bible, and he would just tell me to read it. And I'm so scared to tell him I didn't like it, but that's what I got. I never read it, all right? I just stacked them up. I never read it. Why? Because the Bible felt like duty. And I just didn't enjoy it. There was no beauty in it for me. But what happened to me was that by the time I hit college, so first two years of college, I was an atheist, philosophy major, you already know this. But for something happened, like when I had to transfer to Rutgers, I think that was a big move. Okay, uh, and it, 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 one day, the Bible, that Bible, uh, 
became different to me. Something happened. Uh, I actually enjoyed it. I had questions I was asking that I never really asked. And I needed to know. And I started reading and I started studying. And then what happened was I started sharing on campus, in Bible studies, right? There was no longer just duty. Now there was a little more beauty. And that's why I ended up becoming a pastor and preaching and teaching. Not because of duty, because of beauty. Now let me be honest. It's been 20, 30 years since then. It feels like duty sometimes, okay? It does. But I need to keep doing it. Why? Because in the duty, I know at the end, if not now, at the end, there will be beauty. There will be beauty. Look, let me tell you something. Look, praise team. Praise team. Musicians. You are all talented people, right? But if you're only playing the instrument out of duty... You know, music is the place where we find most beauty. If the congregation is not feeling the beauty, you're just doing it out of duty. We're missing something, right? But here's the thing. If I want to play the guitar and I've only taken two lessons and I think it's going to be beautiful and it sounds ugly, guess what? It's my duty to practice. I've got to practice for the beauty. If you ever watch a ballet, you know how graceful and how beautiful those ballerinas can be, right? Pure beauty, body movements, stretching, you know, it's painful. Do you know how much they had to do there? It's so much duty. But when we finally see it, what is it? It's beauty, right? You like sports? You ever, you ever look at a, a sports clip on YouTube or something and you watch it in slow motion to see the form, the form of the player, whether it's a basketball shot, a golf swing, a, a tennis swing. You ever slow it down to see how their arms move and how it angles and, and how like, perfect it hits? Dude, that's beautiful. That's not just duty. But how do they get there? By being faithful to their duty. It comes together. It comes together. And we tend to always lean on one side or the other. Now, here's my point. When it comes to many things in the Christian life, in being Christian, I'm going to guess, at least for our church, I'm going to guess, many of you tend to lean on duty. I've got to go to church. I've got to serve. I need to give. Or even more basic. Maybe you think of living like a Christian, and for you, it means, okay, I need to start doing this. I need to start doing that. Or, I've got to stop doing this. I've got to stop talking like that. I've got to stop thinking like this. And that's why, maybe for a few of us, that's why you haven't committed to Jesus Christ. You're not all in. You know why? Because if all you see is duty, right? All you see is duty, and if I commit to this, then I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to stop doing this and stop doing that. It's a list of do's and don'ts. And if that's you, you're missing something very crucial. You've only got half the picture. Because on the other side of things, there's real beauty. It's all over the Bible. Psalm 27.4, One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to what? To behold the beauty of the Lord. Psalm 50, the mighty one, God the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising sun to its setting out of Zion. The perfection of beauty 
God shines forth. Isaiah 33, your eyes will see the king. How? In his beauty. Romans 10, 15, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Consider your salvation. Psalm 194, verse 4. Listen to what the psalmist says. The Lord takes pleasure in his people, and he adorns the humble with salvation. You know that word adorn literally means to make beautiful and attractive, to crown you with a crown, to make you beautiful. Psalmist says the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He adorns us, makes us more beautiful and attractive. He beatifies the humble with salvation. Salvation is all about beauty. It's not just duty. There's beauty in God. His glory for his glory and for his glory, his desire is to take people like us who can look very ugly in our sin and make us beautiful inside out. Adorn us. Crown us with his very own glory. Now, how does Jesus do this? How does God do this? Look at the cross. At the cross, Jesus is beaten. He's bruised. He's stripped naked. If you were there, it would look ugly. But why did he do it? He was stripped naked to clothe us with his robes of righteousness. Beautiful. To cover our nakedness. To make us beautiful. He took a crown of thorns, ugly, so that we might be adorned, crowned with his very own crown of glory. Do you see this? Jesus fulfilled the ultimate duty so that you and I might receive real beauty. God shows you beauty. How? By sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take the ugliness of our sin and death, death on a cross, so he can give us an imperishable beauty. That's what the Christian life is all about. It's not just duty. It's also beauty. It's both. And they need to come together. Okay? Now, let me end with this one, I guess, practical idea. If I lean more towards duty, if everything in my Christian life feels like duty and responsibility and I have to do this and I got to do this and I got to do this, how do I get the beauty? How do I get the beauty? Right after the Mary and Martha story, in chapter 11, verse 1 in our passage, what do the disciples ask Jesus? It says there, one of his disciples said to him, teach us how to pray. I don't think it's a coincidence, talking about Mary and Martha, duty and beauty, responsibility and pleasure, joy, and all this, and then talk about prayer. Now, here's the thing. I know for a fact you don't like praying, okay? I know many of you think prayer as a duty. It's a duty. And unless you are desperate in life, something happens to you that's very hard, unless you really need something, then it's on, right? Then you're going to pray. But that's a problem, don't you see? Because if you're only going to pray just to get something, and you never pray for anything else, for anything else, the 
purpose of anything else, you're missing something. And I think, I would argue, between these two passages, missing maybe the purpose of prayer. Like many of us, we're like Martha, who only prayed to get something. She asked Jesus to get Mary to help her. But Mary, what does she do? She sits at Jesus' feet, she listened. And although the passage doesn't really tell us, really, I'm going to guess she also talked to Jesus too. But probably not to ask for stuff. I'm going to guess she probably wanted to adore him. She probably wanted to praise him, maybe just to delight him, just to spend time and speak to him, right? What's the difference in their prayers? Again, it's in the priority. For Martha, she prayed to get the duty done. Help me get this done. For Mary, her priority in prayer, I would argue, is to get the beauty. You ever think of prayer like this? When you think of praying, you think, I need something to do. I need something I need. What if the priority of prayer is to get the beauty? And I think it's one of the priorities of prayer, if not the priority of prayer, to get the beauty. That's why he talks about prayer right after the Mary and Martha story. Mary, who wanted more of Jesus, to get the beauty, to consider who he is, to borrow from Davy's poem, to be able to just stand and stare. Like the song we sang today, to stand in awe and wonder at God's goodness and greatness, to be amazed again by amazing grace, his faithfulness, to be in awe and wonder of his love in Jesus Christ for you. How do I get that? When I come and dwell and think and speak to this God and consider all that he's done. If you only see prayer as duty, something Christians and other religions have to do, and then you only pray when you really need something, you might be missing the priority. Maybe the purpose of prayer. You might be missing the beauty. Let me ask you a question. Does your Christian life always feel like duty and responsibility? Does it look like it, that's what it always is? You just got to go, you just got to do it, you just got to like, get it done? then let me suggest you change your priority. Don't make duty the priority, which is good. Make beauty a priority. And make prayer's purpose in your life, not just to get things, but to get the beauty. So you make the time to pray. It's just one way. Stand with Davy's poem again as he ends his poem this way. A poor life this, if full of care, we have no time to stand and stare. Make that time. Let's pray.